1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com.
2: It's that time of night.
3: You can't stay tight. So come and join the people that are feeling all right here on Over, not America. Over, not America.
4: Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Got the last live hour of the show here, and I'm always... Uh enjoying our time together if you ever wanted to message me another way to do it is online through facebook ryan record radio you can get it right on there and uh, i like seeing the interaction on twitter right now don't trust any politician that treats uncle sam as their sugar daddy a lot of great <laughs> comments so far on that if you want to go leave one you can but i always like when elvis gives us a call how are you
3: oh doing pretty good my friend how are you doing
4: Doing great. Good to hear your voice. What's new?
3: Good. Okay. Well, first of all, I I got to hear that that Ramino fella, and I heard him name all the presidents for us.
4: Right. Yes, he's very good at that. He can do that off the top of his head.
3: Well, I'm not going to do it, but I can do it too. But I can. Oh, great. Well, wait a minute. I can throw one at you. You Mm -hmm. name me a president, and I guarantee you, I could tell you who was his vice president. How many was the vice? How many did they have? and if, whether or not they died in office.
4: Okay, so if I give you a president, you'll tell me who their vice president is. Right, okay. and I'll tell Any you, of them? I
3: might even tell you something about what they, what they did, that you we know right like before.
4: Okay, here is the president, Andrew Johnson.
3: Okay, Andrew Johnson was Lincoln's vice president. Andrew Johnson himself did not have a vice president. I don't know who was the president of the Senate at the time, but Johnson didn't have one. Now, the, he was actually the second Johnson to be vice president. Martin Van Buren, he was the first, uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Martin Van Buren had a Johnson. Lincoln had a Johnson. John F. Kennedy had a Johnson.
4: Nice. Well, look at that. That's very good. I tried to trick you even to find a president that didn't have a vice president.
3: Well, I appreciate you trying to do that. Okay, I got another thing I want to talk about, and I'll I'll get off here real quick. Uh, Second, I heard this morning when I couldn't sleep on Camel X, they're hunting Bigfoot here in the States.
4: Here in Missouri or... Oh, Over, and I'm sorry. Around, and uh,
3: oh, the the guy that answered the phone said Oklahoma. I thought it was Nebraska. Yeah, Oklahoma. But, but yeah, they're hunting Bigfoot. And the guy that they interviewed was a state representative. Said we don't want to kill it. We want to capture him and study him.
4: I think I would be worried that uh, it's going to be some dude in a suit that's going to get shot
1: accidentally that's
4: what i'm worried (laughs) like they're gonna go out there and someone's gonna be filming for a youtube page or whatever it is trying to make some viral video and it's gonna be they're gonna you know think they're going for bigfoot and they run up and they pull the mask off the guy and it's like a a real sad episode of scooby-doo except the person underneath it's gonna be uh bleeding profusely
3: well let's hope that cooler heads prevail
4: (laughs) i would you ever go on a bigfoot hunt
3: Oh, goodness, no. I'm, I'm scared of a snake or a rabbit or anything. I don't go <laughs> in the woods.
4: <laughs> you know, I had, uh, I've had i talked Bigfoot a lot on the show, and there's a lot of interest whenever we do Bigfoot talk. I might have to get like a Bigfoot expert back on, and maybe we can get some people to call in and ask questions to them. I'll just have to find who that person may be. All right, well, Elvis, I'm always impressed with your knowledge of things, so I'm glad that you gave us a call here tonight. Good to hear from you.
3: Hey, hey man, you keep up the good work. I really like your show,
4: Ryan. Thank you very much, Elvis. That's very nice. I, you know, it's nice to get the uh, compliments every once in a while. I'm always uh, welcome to that. So if you want to call in and compliment the show, feel, f- <laughs> feel free. We'll take it at any time. <laughs> and if you hate the show, then you most likely are going to send me an email or text message. Those are where we normally get the uh, most complaints. But that's okay. As long as you're listening, I'm all right with that. In fact, we're going to have a replay of Rich Rubino coming up in just a few minutes, uh, his book, American Politics on the Rocks. And what uh, Elvis was alluding to there during the interview with Rich, I asked him, OK, now that we have a new president in the White House, I want you to name every president from Washington to Biden in order. You don't have to tell me much about him. Just, you know, tell me the names. And he's like, OK, let's go. Boom, 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 boom biden and he's there it's a well of course he says the actual president's names but i was following along online he, he almost tripped up on one but oh he went back and corrected himself it's amazing and alvis has got one of those names or one of those minds too where he can do that sort of thing so we'll take a break if you want to message us uh, online 314-436-7900 to text us or ryan wrecker radio on facebook it would always be good If you were to drop us a line on there, like the page, it should be fun. So, Rich Rubino coming up next few segments. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX
1: has never been easier.
4: Siri, play KMOX. Rich Rubino. Always uh, enjoy our time with good old Rich Rubino. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, dot geekcom Rich, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing just fine. NASA seems to be on top of their game tonight. They keep releasing things today. I don't know if you like space news or not.
2: Yes, absolutely.
4: Yeah, so they posted a video about the Perseverance lander hitting Mars. It was such a cool video. They put some new pictures of Jupiter out tonight, so I'm feeling pretty good. Politics-wise, there's a lot going on still, and I know today is George Washington's birthday officially. It'll be February 22nd. Uh, Do you have any good stories about George Washington?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I know it's his birthday because right down the street there's a um, there's a there's the a, uh, the town hall. It's called Abbott Hall, and they play it up pretty much every hour for about maybe fifteen minutes. They keep playing the uh, the bell going on and off, so I've been hearing it all day.
4: <laughs> What's the it's significance in- of the? Is there a Washington Bell story or something, or is it just the way that they commemorate it?
2: I think it's the way that they basically commemorated it as on his birthday, a lot of towns on say July fourth and George Washington's birthday, not President's Day, but his actual birthday and today's his actual birthday. So they'll um you know, lots lots of lots of municipalities will put the bells on and lots of times people will say, you know, what's going on? They won't they won't necessarily make the connection about what exactly it's about. But
4: I see what's interesting well, about
2: George, George Washington is the whole idea of political parties basically started with him but not by him. He was very much against the idea of there being political parties. If you go back to, you know, the Federalist Papers and go back to Federalist 10 for example, James Madison really warned against the idea of factions being essentially which would become political parties, but they kind of came they kind of were effectuated or created if you will whether he, you know, with um with that without with without his kind of permission or him um, kind of saying, you know, I want to have political parties, but essentially, what happened under his administration is Thomas Jefferson, the Secretary of State, kind of formed his own party, the Democratic Republican Party, and then on the other side, you had the Federalist Party, which was Alexander Hamilton's party, his Secretary of Treasury, the, and the 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 the. the, the this Democratic-Republican Party was more or less kind of what you'd say almost the Libertarian Party today. They wanted a very small government in terms of defense expenditures, in terms of um, having a agrarian republic. On the other side, you had folks like Alexander Hamilton who wanted more expansive governmental powers. And essentially, for example, he wanted there to be a national bank. So that's kind of where they formed. But if you read George Washington, you know, even his farewell address, he warns of the baleful, baleful effects of the spirit of party. But they kind of came... Um, you know, without his uh, permission, but most people believe that he was probably more sympathetic to Hamilton than he was to Jefferson's vision.
4: Wow. You know, recently, did you see the news story about how there was a auction that had George and Martha's hair, lock of hair? Oh, yes, in, I did the see that, of the locks of hair, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, let's see, if I can find how much this thing went for. But there's an auction house, and it's kind of fascinating to think some of the things they get their hands on. I don't know how they authenticate it, but I was just looking at the price that some of these go for. It's too bad that these uh, items were not up for auction after the new stimulus checks come out because I'd be tempted (laughs) to bid on some of these. But either way, if you wanted to purchase a George Washington signed letter, Uh, You could do it for, let's see, the sold price came for about $5,400. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know how much the hair went for. Um, The other thing is, how do you
2: authenticate the signature?
4: Who knows? There's very good people out there. If they could authenticate Michael Jordan's signature down to a T. um, Yeah, you're right. George is not there to figure it out. But then again, I guess you can find (laughs) historical documents that are inside the archives that would be able to do that. But... I don't know. Some of these different items are cool. I was actually looking at some of them when they were up. And if you wanted to get some of the lesser-known president signatures, you can do it for a couple hundred bucks. And I thought, that'd be kind of a cool collection to kick off. Maybe if you really wanted Washington's hair, though, maybe you can clone them.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. I remember I I always regretted about 15 years ago, there was a store going out of business, and I remember walking in there, and they had, I mean they were really really expensive but there were all sorts of pictures about just about every president particularly folks like Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland and they were all signed how you authenticated I don't know but there were a lot of signed photos and I always wanted to you know think of, thinking going back and um you know potentially getting those um of what it would be like to actually kind of have those but I will say just a kind of word word of I guess this would be kind of a um that kind of a kind of advice for advice for people is that if you ever do get an autograph from a politician or a president or any or vice president, make sure it's on the sweet spot of a Rawlings baseball. <laughs> um, for some reason, sports card co- sports collectors, sports card collectors, sports memorabilia collectors, they don't only necessarily distinguish between a you know getting a signature of Willie Mays. They also like signatures of politicians. And if you, I mean, even if you Google it, you can see, you know, Richard Nixon autographed baseballs will go for, you know, five hundred dollars. So you see that sometimes when there's some sort of when there's a celebrity coming, um, you'll see lots of times a lot of people will bring baseballs, even though those aren't baseball players, because be- people that are in the sports card industry um, also like um, politicians and celebrities signing as well.
4: Oh, I like that because I saw one on the same auction site. It was a Ronald Reagan signed baseball. And it made me wonder, why would they have that up for auction? But you're right. The sports, you know, there's always a crossover with those sort of things. So happy birthday to uh, good old George Washington. Um, I wanted to... um, Yes. Talk to you about some conventions and things that are going on. CPAC is uh, going on. It's something that the is like a conservative uh, conference. President Trump will be speaking there. Vice President Pence will not be speaking there. Uh, they normally have a lot of the a lot of uh, popular names that are conservatives, and it made me wonder a lot about what's going on today because we seem to be always trying to define what conservatism is anymore, and it seems like that definition changes almost by the year.
2: Oh, it's it's fascinating in terms of I guess where the Republican Party is in terms of conservatism. I was talking the political parties. If you go back to actually the founding of the Democratic Party, what the founding of the Democratic Party was very similar to kind of the way we perceive conservatism under the 1980s and the 1990s. They, it was very much for, for example, it was for free trade. It was actually for less government. Uh, very similar, and then the Republican Party was actually founded on more funding for the railroads. It was founded on, you know, and, well, there was actually a split between those who wanted to abolish slavery and those who wanted those who ha- those who wanted to simply abolish it in the territories, like Lincoln, who was more or less um, kind of somewhat of the moderate, and their folks like Thaddeus Stevens were more the conservatives. But in terms of how you actually define conservatism, I think you have to go back. There was this fight between so in 1908, Theodore Roosevelt. Endorsed William Howard Taft as his successor over his own vice president, um, Ch- Charles Fairbanks, thinking that William Howard Taft would be more progressive. And Taft was progressive in some respects, but Theodore Roosevelt did not think he was progressive enough. So in 1912, he challenged him first in the, in the Republican primaries, won the primaries, most of them, but then lost to the convention because Taft had sewed up. So he said, I'm stripped to the buff, and I'm essentially I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, and then he runs as a progressive. So that's kind of where I think the modern split began. But then you go to the 20s. In terms of Harding and Coolidge specifically, probably the closest to where Donald Trump was in terms of wanting less intervention overseas, wanting um, wanting wanting to curtail, wanting to curtail both legal and illegal immigration, and in terms of free trade, being somewhat protectionist. So that's kind of where it was in the 1920s. Then there's this battle between the progressives and the conservatives. Um, throughout the 1920s, for example, you had folks like William Borah, senator from Idaho, very progressive. And actually in 1924, the Progressive Party nominated Robert Lafollette, the governor of Wisconsin, governor and then senator of Wisconsin, who was kind of an opponent of Coolidge's conservatism. Now, fast forward to the 1950s, you had a hit the, the split again at the Republican convention that year. You had Robert Taft, who was basically a Harding um, Coolidge Republican. Running in the primaries and losing to Dwight Eisenhower was more of an establishment, more liberal Republican. Then Tapp becomes a good soldier during the Eisenhower's administration. Then he dies later on in 1953. Then you go back up to, to 1964 when you had the establishment wing. Basically, the establishment wing tends to be more wealthy and more liberal. And Nelson Rockefeller that year, the governor of New York, was kind of the early front runner. He ended up getting in some his own personal foibles. One of them being there was he had gotten a divorce and he gotten got remarried. But Barry Goldwater that year actually won the nomination, and when Barry Goldwater won the nomination, he was really the first real conservative probably to be nominated, probably since Coolidge in 1924 and at the convention. He did not try to temporize his rhetoric. He said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. So he became a tribune to the conservative wing. As a result, a lot of the Rockefeller people did not support him in the general election, so Goldwell ends up winning only six states and then you go all the way up to you know nineteen seventy six you had Ronald Reagan versus Gerald Ford. That was kind of the split. Um, so there's always been the split in the nineteen eighties, George H. W. Bush and John Connolly, the more moderate wing versus Ronald Reagan, who represented the more conservative wing. That's kind of where it's always gone. And I think what Donald Trump did after George W. Bush kind of after George W. Bush's more progressive stance on issues like immigration um, Donald Trump kind of brought it, brought it back to where it was, I think, in many respects to the status quo ante under Coolidge and Hoover. But there's always a battle between what conservatism is. I think a lot of conservatives, conservatives view themselves kind of on the outside of the Republican Party. Many of them view themselves as conservative first and Republican second, where some of the more moderate members say, essentially, we have to win an outright majority. That means we have to kind of temporize our, our rhetoric a little bit. So That's kind of where the bloodline split comes from.
4: Yeah, you look at where the Republican Party started in going back to Abe Lincoln, and you go back even further. So, if George Washington was in politics today, what party do you think he'd be closest aligned to?
2: I think he'd probably, it's hard to say because, I mean, the changes of politics, there have been so many changes in terms of ideology between the two parties, but I think he'd probably be closer to the Democrats simply because he was somebody who tended to favor. Um, federal power, you know, for example, trying to trying to put down the whiskey rebellion. Um, he was somebody who I think more sympathized more with Alexander Hamilton's view of there being a more expansive government, at least the federal role. Whereas I think Thomas Jefferson would probably be more of a Republican or even a Libertarian, because he really wanted there to be a devolution of power. He wanted it to come down to the states. But you also have other issues, though. For example, you know, George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan were very much into increasing defense spending, as was Donald Trump, whereas whereas, you know, um, Donald, whereas uh, Thomas Jefferson's vision was for a truncated uh, national defense as well. So that's where it gets a little bit iffy. But I think Jefferson would probably would be more Republican. Washington would probably be more of a Democrat.
4: You got anything against wooden teeth? Um, I'm glad I don't have wooden teeth (laughs) George Washington happy birthday to him do you mind holding on after the break I'd love to talk to you about some of the current senators now there's been a lot of real close votes Uh, we know we have some confirmation hearings going on but talking about the stimulus packages for example we could see a lot of uh, you know right down the middle 50-50 so there are some very important senators right now that hold a lot of influence so maybe we'll talk about that after the break Uh, Rich Rabino American Politics on the Rocks is his book, polita and you can find him online. Just do a quick search for it, Rich Rubino, P-O-L, on there. This is Overnight America, K-M-O-X.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals.
4: Here we are in Overnight America. Thanks for spending the time with us. You could be doing anything tonight. I mean, you could have your windows open and just enjoy the nice, you know, when 50 degrees in St. Louis feels like it's about 80, take advantage of things like this. So we're going to continue with our conversation with Richard Bino. American politics on the rocks. You can find this book online and also politidgeek dot com. And Rich, if people wanted to find you online, where can they find you?
2: Just go to uh, Twitter and type in Rich Rubino Paul, or you can go to politidgeek dot com, or you can go to Facebook and just type in Rich, and then last name Rubino R U B I N O.
4: Great. So I wanted to talk about some of the senators that have a lot of influence as of right now because I was listening to a speech from Chuck Schumer talking about how they're passing this uh, stimulus bill, another 1.9 trillion, and he made it very clear. He said, "Oh, we'll pass this even with no." Republican support, which made me think, okay, you're going right down the middle. It's 50-50 in the Senate with the tiebreaker going with the vice president, who's a Democrat, which means that they could technically do that. However, there are some wild cards in the Senate that could go either way, and they hold a lot of power right now.
2: Well, you know, it's fascinating. It's, It's really, if you think about who's probably the most powerful person in this nation right now, in many respects, it's Joe Manchin of West Virginia. I mean, on every single vote, just about, he is unpredictable. Um, it's fascinating he was you know the one of the he was the only he was one of the the only Republican for example who voted for you know um, who he voted he voted for um, Kavanaugh for example to go to the Supreme Court and that landed up helping him certainly when he was running for reelection in 2018 but he's someone who's very socially conservative on issues like abortion on issues like gun control and economics he's more or less he's a little bit more populist but generally it comes down to in terms of lobbyists He's kind of the one person that I think every lobbyist tries to go after before anybody else because he's that 50th authority's far and away the most conservative Democrat. He's the one Democrat. When he comes out, for example, and says that he does not want to liquidate the filibuster, it actually matters simply because of his positioning right now. And it's something that potentially he could really use this as bar- bargain for a West Virginian if he wants to do that in many respects, you know, get an appropriation for something like this in order for – and, and, and trade that for um for something for for the state, trade that for a vote, something to that effect, but he was so many certain Donald Trump consistently courted him uh, according to Joe Manchin. Donald Trump would call him out of the blue, and he would essentially say, "You know i know you 're a centrist senator, I want you to be able to work with me and There was these rare instances, for example, when Donald Trump would deliver a state of the union address when virtually every Democrat would be sitting down, and then Joe Manchin kept standing up and he 'd applaud and he 'd applaud and he'd applaud and, and there 's one thing there 's one um, this one video this video footage of AOC kind of sitting behind him kind of giving him what appeared to be kind of a dirty look because he was standing up um, Kirsten Simmons Senator Muff, uh, from Arizona by the way also stood up a couple times and got kind of the um, evil eye from some of the more progressive members but you know he's probably he's very influential i think the biggest fear by the way that democrats have is the republicans will do something to court him so that he actually becomes a republican i don't think that's realistically going to happen but there is precedent the other side Back in two thousand and one, two thousand back in two thousand and one, remember Jim Jeffords, very liberal Republican from Vermont. Um, actually, after the after courting from Tom Daschle, the minority leader, Harry Reid, the minority, Harry Reid, um, the minority whip, um, they they courted him, and they they were trying to court him. they were trying to court Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island. Finally, they got him. He was disaffected with where the Republican Party was going. He said, you know what? I'm not going to become a Democrat, but I'm going to caucus with the Democrats, meaning essentially that the entire shift, the entire balance of power in the United States Senate shifted from Republicans to Democrats. They gave him a chairmanship of a committee in return. But um, that's the biggest fear, I think, is that the, is that the Democrats will be – is that there will be alienation in some, in some respects. And Joe Manchin just says, you know what, screw it, I'm going to become Republican. Maybe potentially the Republicans could give him a very important chairmanship. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen. I think he's probably in the best possible position for his state and certainly for his own political future, just simply to kind of stay in the middle right there. And on every single vote, every important vote, you have every lobbyist, every member of the media, every member of the United States Senate going to Joe Manchin because, in many respects, you know, Joe, it's, this is Joe Manchin's Washington.
4: You ought to be great. Kind of like in sports when there's a player that's ready to declare they're going to sign with another team and they like sit down. There's a press conference. Joe Manchin (laughs) walks in and he puts on like a Republican hat and (laughs) announces that he's changed teams. Well, is is 2001 the last example of that happening? Because it's got to be pretty rare uh, in the history of the Senate where you see a lot of active sitting senators deciding to switch parties.
2: It happened, yeah, it happened once, and that was the last, I think, that was the last major one to do it. There have been House members who have done it. The the odd one was, for example, Michael Forbes from New York, because he actually shifted from the Republicans to the Democrats, but he shifted at the time when he was in the majority party, so he shifted to a minority party, which means you have less influence. That was a very odd one. In terms of actual people who have switched from the Democrats to the Republicans, in 1994, the day after... Bill Clinton suffered a 52-seat defeat, um, defeat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Richard Shelby from Alabama, who is voting with Republicans in most things anyways, announced he's going to become a – he was a Democrat. He announced he's going to become a Republican, and he, it actually worked out for him because he's still in the United States Senate today. He's 86 years old, and he just announced he's not running for re And then a year later, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, another conservative Democrat from Colorado, switched and he became a Republican. But what's interesting with him is right before he switched, there was a very – this is actually a few months after Shelby. There was a very important vote, and that vote was who was going to be the minority leader of the United States Senate. came down to Tom Daschle from South Dakota and Chris Dodd from the state of Connecticut. And Ben Nighthorse Campbell, right before he switched, was the deciding vote for Tom Daschle. Then he becomes an actual um, then he becomes a Republican essentially the next week. So that was something that was very um, that was very interesting. There have been there have been switches and certainly in history, Strom Thurman was one for example. He was a Democrat. He ran as the states rights or the the states rights of the American Party's nominee in 1948. He actually switched from Democrat. He became a Republican. Um, so there currently have been some examples. There have been examples in the House of Representatives. Phil Graham, the one who ran for president in '96, was originally a Democrat and he actually he actually switched to the republican party but when he switched he actually resigned his seat so he resigned his seat back in 1983 and then they had a special election and he won that special election as a Republican, so that was very um, that was a very interesting phenomenon. But generally speaking, it's rare and it's very hard. I think you know when you actually run in some in a party's primary and you go to the benefactors in that party and say I want to be the nominee, and if I'm going to be the nominee, I'm going to win for the party. Then as soon as you get there, you change and you come and you join another party. I'll say one more example would be Jim Johnson, actually the. Uh, the governor of the state of West Virginia ran as a Democrat, and then the next year he actually became a Republican. So there is some precedent in West Virginia for that.
5: Wow.
4: Okay. I wonder, too, when it comes to the power shift in the Senate in a lot of years, you find that there are pretty you know, narrow margins, even though there's one party that might— Hold the uh, majority and something like that. Is there usually a case where there are senators that could switch and vote with the other party, and they have been under the spotlight, or is that somewhat of a unique thing to what we've seen in the past couple of decades?
2: No, absolutely. And it used to be that there was a lot more. Um, there was a lot more shifting in terms of. Democrats voting for Republican proposals, Republicans voting for Democrat proposals. Remember, for example, when Bill Clinton got the Budget Discretionary Act of 93 passed, he had six Democrats. Now, One of them was Richard Shelby, but he had six Democrats that actually voted against him on that. Folks like Sam Nunn from Georgia, David Bourne from Oklahoma, when they used to have these conservative Southern Democrats who are basically all but distinct today. Um, and then it actually came down. Remember, even though he had, he had six votes to deal with, it actually came down to one vote, and that was Bob Kerry of Nebraska. And Bob Kerry who had run against Bill Clinton, had a very bitter campaign against Bill Clinton in the 92 Democratic primaries, actually became the one that saved that act because after some lobbying and essentially Bob Kerry said, I don't want to be the person that destroyed Bill Clinton's presidency, and Bob Kerry will end up giving him that vote. So you have seen that a lot of that in history. If you go back, by the way, votes like the Civil Rights Act of 64, you had a very interesting alliances on that because you had – Lyndon Johnson signed it, but you had Southern Democrats in an alliance with Western Republicans against the legislation, and then you had Northern Democrats um, in an alliance in, a, in an alliance with no very with the kind of liberal Republicans, um, folks like Ed Brooke in Massachusetts, for example. Well, he wasn't there at the time, but that type of a Republican. So you used to have a lot of issues where you where the Democrats had to work with. Had to work kind of cross party. I think when he, the last one you saw that was when, when, the last time you really saw a major piece of legislation where a Democrat had to get Republican more Republican votes than than um, than Democrat votes is probably NAFTA with Bill Clinton in 1993 when he was working with Bob Dole and he's working with the, the Republican Whip at the time it was Newt Gingrich of Georgia against the Democratic leadership in the House in terms of that Minority Leader uh, Dick Gephardt and the Minority Whip. Uh, David B- David Bonier, and they got it through. And then you had kind of this weird alliance of you know Republicans and, D- and Bill Clinton working against Democrats and some more um, some more or less um, economic nationalist Republicans like Jesse Helms in North Carolina. Very interesting alliance.
4: Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering too when it comes to different uh, organizations getting together, giving speeches, things like that, like the CPAC that's going down. Has there just been a rise of big names in political movements that are non-politicians? Is that a new phenomenon, or do you find that's happened a lot throughout the course of politics?
2: Um, there have been certainly examples in history, and usually they're businessmen. Oftentimes they're military people. For example, in, 19, in 1952, uh, there was talk that if Robert Taft got the, got the nomination, he would choose Douglas MacArthur. As his running mate, someone who had no political experience but he had military experience. There have certainly been presidents who have come out of that. Zachary Taylor in 1848, certainly Dwight Eisenhower, Ulysses S. Grant, um, and there certainly have been businessmen that people have looked at and said that they should potentially should be um, should be a major presidential candidate. Leah Iacocca, for example, at one point looked at it. Ross mm-hmm. Perot looked at it a couple of times. More at the state level, sometimes you do have people that kind of come out of. Um, the acting world and certainly the state of California, but he had Ronald Reagan. But Ronald Reagan did have political experience before becoming governor. He was chairman of the Screen Actors Guild, Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2003, although he had worked on some initiatives um, in 2002 on the ballot that got through actually for, um, for, for, that, that for after school programs. We did have some political experience. The one a lot of people point to is Jesse Ventura, but he didn't come from nowhere. He, remember, a lot of people don't realize this, but he was actually mayor of Brooklyn Park, which at the time was the sixth biggest city in the state of Minnesota. So if he was anybody else and he had those credentials, no one would essentially look, um, you know, look, they would not look at him as some sort of an anathema. They would just say a politician running for governor because people immediately though associated him with this, with 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 his um, actions in the ring. So they said, this guy came right out of the ring and decided he wanted to become governor, but he actually did have some political experience prior to
4: that. I interviewed him once when he had a conspiracy theory book that came out. Oh, I
2: remember that show, yes.
4: Yeah. It, well, the book, it was, I mean, it had all kinds of stuff in it and the interview was just as wild yeah. as any of the interviews he's ever given. He's something else. i tell you what, um, not a fan <laughs> of his, but he gives a <laughs> wild interview. So um, I wanted to challenge you, Rich Rubino, if oh. uh, you don't mind, because we've done sure. this before, but we haven't done it since there is a new person in the white house with Joe Biden. Uh, and maybe it was last year or maybe two years ago, you just impressed everyone by giving every president in order I'm hoping we can do that again now that we have a new president in the White House. If you can just give every president's name, you don't have to worry about the years they served because that's, you know, we that's fine. If you can just give every president in order from memory, from George Washington to now, do you think you can do it? Yes. Okay, I'd love you to uh, give it a try.
2: Washington, Adams, Jefferson, James Madison, uh, James Monroe, and then John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson— and then after Andrew Jackson was uh, Martin Van Buren, then William Henry Harrison, James K. Polk, and then after, let's see, uh, William William Henry Harrison was 40, oh, and then John Tyler came in in 1841, and then in 1845 was James K. Polk, in 1848 would have been, 1849 would have been Zachary Taylor, then he was succeeded by Millard Fillmore until 1853, I have to do it with the years, and then in 1853... Um, in 1853, you had Franklin Pierce, then James Buchanan came in in 1857, um, and then after that was Abraham Lincoln, who came in in 1861. He died in 1865. Andrew Johnson succeeded him, left in 1869. Ulysses S. Grant came in and served until 1877. Then um, after him was Rutherford B. Hayes, 1877 to 1881, and then 1881 was James Garfield, then Chester A. Arthur, 1881 to 1885, and then after Chester Arthur was Grover Cleveland, the only one who served two non-consecutive terms, he was 1885 to 1889, lost to Benjamin Harrison, then after Benjamin Harrison, came, he came back in 1893, and then he served until 1897, then William McKinley, 1897 to 1901, and then Theodore Roosevelt succeeded him from 1901 to 1909, William Howard Taft from 1909 to 1913, then John Hodgewise Smith from 1913 to 1923 and then no I was make that up <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> and then Woodrow Wilson from 1913 to 1921 then Warren G Harding 1921 to 1923 Calvin Coolidge 1923 to 1929 and then Herbert Hoover 19, Herbert Hoover 1929 to 1933 FDR 1933 to 1945 Harry S. Truman, 1945 to 1953, Dwight D. Eisenhower, 1953 to 1961, John F. Kennedy, 1961 to 63, LBJ, 63 to 69, Richard Nixon, 69 to 74, Gerald R. Ford, 74 to 77, Jimmy Carter, 77 to 81, Ronald Reagan, 81 to 89, George H.W. Bush, 89 to 93, Bill Clinton, 93 to 2001, George W. Bush, 2001 to 2009; Barack Obama, 2009 to 2017; Donald Trump, 2017 to 2021; and then Joe Biden,
4: 2021. Nice, congratulations! You got them all correct, and you almost stumbled there for a second. You missed. Who was it? Taylor? Zachary? Uh, no, hold on. Oh no! I,
2: oh, I went for. I said because that's why That's when I said I have to do it with the years because I said yeah, William Henry Harrison. Yeah. I said 1840, and then I skipped over. Um, John Tyler, who succeeded him, then I went, then I was, I went to James K. Polk, and they said, oh, but then there was Taylor, Tyler right in between. Right.
4: Okay, so here's another uh, question. If you were to take the official presidential portraits, who was the last president to have facial hair? Uh,
2: Benjamin Harrison.
4: Benjamin. Well, if I go back and I know, let's see, Benjamin Harrison. If I go back, Taft had a mustache. Oh, um, facial so hair at all. I, I'm
2: not, I was thinking a beard. You're right.
4: Oh, yeah, then uh, good old Teddy Roosevelt had a mustache. Then Grover Cleveland, and then Harrison was the first to have a beard after that. He was the
2: last one to have a beard. That's what I was thinking, not facial hair generally, but
4: you're right. They really need to uh, bring that back in the future. The, the And mutton beard. tops, okay. too. Oh, let's bring the mutton tops. Let's do it all. So if uh, people want to find you online, <laughs> where can they look you up?
2: Uh, you can just go to uh, Facebook and type in Rich, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or go to wwwpolita geekcom or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubin O P O L.
4: So when you were a kid and it was time for the school talent show, would you stand up and name all the presidents in order?
2: <laughs> no, I don't think they had a school talent show, but I did <laughs> used to oh, um, I did used to have the little figurines and I used to look at all the figurines and I do remember looking at all the presidential books and um going through about each different president and then I remember um having Cards that would say three or four things about each president. So for some reason, I just got a fascination with them for that reason. Yeah.
4: Oh, that's great. Uh, Rich Rabino, you can find him online, com. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I love our Monday hookups.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed it. Maybe next time we'll do vice presidents.
4: If you could do that, that's even more impressive. Oh, wow. You're in the top percentage of people that could even name all the presidents. Number one. Now, if you could do vice presidents, you may be the only person right now in America that can do that. Uh, Richard Pino joins us on the Bomberito (laughs) Automotive Group guest line. Super impressive as always. This is Overnight America KMOX.
1: Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com.
4: Just a couple of things I wanted to get to before we go for the night and then we go to the replay hours. Something pretty amazing that NASA has released in the last couple of hours. It was the video of the Perseverance Mars rover lander descending onto Mars. And it's remarkable. So the cameras were turned on during this descent. You have it going from space, but you see the landscape of Mars. And we're talking, this thing is just dropping. You can see the actual deployment of everything. I mean, you can see the parachute. You can see the the heat blaster panels and plates falling off. And there's a commentary of NASA explaining what you're looking at. You can see the wheels moving into place because they had to you know, fit it into this. And keep in mind, this thing weighs a ton about the size of a Jeep or so it had this one very fancy type of, um, it it almost looked like a helicopter type of deal, but it was like a drone that was slowly setting it down onto the surface of Mars. And then as soon as the Rover itself was flat on the ground, this thing flew off and out of its way. So it wouldn't actually get in the way of this Mars Rover. It was awesome. And also released today, was the sound from Mars that finally happened. We know that there was going to be a microphone put in and I didn't exactly know when this microphone would be turned on, but now we are able to hear what it sounds like if you were there on the rover. Take a listen.
2: I invite you now to, if you would like to close your eyes and just imagine yourself sitting on the surface of Mars and listening to to the surroundings. Uh, if I could have the first one, please.
4: Pretty amazing. It almost sounds like you're sitting in a server room, doesn't it? Now, keep in mind, uh, there's a reason why it sounds that way. It's because the actual Mars rover itself makes that noise. It sounds like if you, again, a server room would be the best way to put it when there's a bunch of computers and the fans are running and you can hear them just silently. That's as silent as they can get in the background. But, you know, they got to keep those computers cold and get the hot air blown out of it. And that's what that does. So they actually found a way to filter that sound out if you want to hear what it sounds like without it. It's windy on Mars. Isn't that cool? You can go listen to that yourself. It might be better for you to put some headphones in and hear it there. But otherwise, that does it for us on Overnight America. The replay hours are coming up with Brad Young. He's a partner at Hairstyle, Fisher & Young. The Supreme Court made a couple of uh, decisions today, or at least a couple of statements, I should say. And also, Ryan Wiggins is on our sister station, 97.1. He wrote a book, a fictional book called The Life of Human. He's our special guest with a very special guest reviewer. My wife joins because she read the book, and I wanted her to be here for that. So enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy the replay hours. We'll be back again tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We'll see you. Bye.
0: Beats with the lonely rain, wishing I could see your face again. Change.